Thank you, Steve. Uh, I didn't expect that, but thank you very much. Um, Psalms. We are making our way through uh, a whole range of Psalms and uh, your feedback has been amazing that you've loved the speakers I chose throughout this, uh, this period. So that's good news. And it was incredible to see the way that they uh, uh, responded. But of course, the danger is, is that all of those speakers over three months have stolen all the very best Psalms. It's like I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, that's another one gone. I mean, they're all good, of course, but there are some that are a little bit more blue and, uh, and so on and others. And so I wondered about what I should share with you uh, for this psalm, for this Sunday as we gather together. I really want to talk to you from Psalm 92. And if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 92. I am concerned at times for my own, may I say, my own mental health. Because... The, the way society has become, we can find ourselves, or I can find myself, I don't know if you're like this, I can find myself becoming overwhelmed by society, by becoming overwhelmed by information that is being thrown towards me. Emails. My smartphone that I feel isn't so smart is always pinging. For my 50th birthday, my best friend bought me an Apple Watch, which was amazing. And then I realized that every time an email came into my Apple Watch, my phone vibrated. And my Apple Watch vibrated as well. That was, that was good at that moment. But not so good when you're sat in a pastoral appointment and somebody's opposite you and your phone vibrates and your instant reaction is... Uh, to look, it doesn't make the person feel very good. <laughs> Particularly as we only just sat down for two minutes. Usually that happens after 50. And I do it. Uh, but it is a problem. Because it's the message that it sends. is not the message of your heart. It's like it interrupts. You hear the ping. You wake up in the morning. I don't know how you wake up in the morning. But often these days, the first thing that people do before they even throw back the curtains is check other people's statuses on Facebook or Instagram. By the time you get out of bed on Instagram, you may have looked at half a dozen other people's meals without you having eaten yourself. True? It becomes overwhelming from the moment you wake up to the moment that you go to bed. You are checking, you are looking. In fact, scientists have proven that there's a kind of um, response in our brain that trains our brain to respond. So it becomes this repetitive motion of us looking for that. And why do I say this? Because Psalm 92 deals with the idea about us living in rhythm and living in Sabbath. And when we live in rhythm and we live in Sabbath, it means that we have to turn down the world and we have to look at the face of God. And what is happening in our multitasking world, and let me just tell you something, multitasking is a lie. It doesn't really exist. When you multitask, you do multiple tasks badly. 
But when you learn to focus, that's how things change in our lives. That's how things are revolutionized. And so often I battle with focus. I battle to not look at those emails until the appropriate focus time. I live in a world that is instant, that I'm continually feeling the stress of that moment about what that is going to communicate and not being able to deal with it properly. I'm like a taxi driver and the meter is always on or something's always running. When I was in Vancouver, you can see the taxi drivers, they're amazing. I was using the bus system when I was at the university and I was chatting to the bus drivers and they were were bus drivers. So it's amazing watching the taxi drivers. He said, I watch them all day. They, They time it just perfectly going through every green when they are going to pick somebody up. And on the way back, they time it perfectly for every red. Because time is money. The meter is running. Who can blame them, he said. Who can blame them? We've all got to make a living in this city, he said. And I'm a bus driver. And, and he said, I try and make a living. And, and we had a great conversation about life and about buses and about taxi drivers. But it's true. When I call a taxi, they come very quickly, but they seem to be a bit slow going. Not always. But like a New York lawyer who is on 24-7, because every email responded in moments, whether it's the middle of the night, means that the meter keeps going up and the money keeps coming in. We're beginning to live like we're always on the meter. We're always moving, we're always answering, we're always doing, and we're losing the ability of what I want to describe as Sabbath living. And this psalm is about living the Sabbath. This psalm is about us learning to engage in the Sabbath and understand what it's about. As we look at Psalm 92, I find it incredible and really challenging that we we can see that in in our lives. Verse 1, let's read a few verses here. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High. Claim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-string lyre and the melody of the harp. Right here in verse 2, we see that, that there is this, this statement that when we get up in the morning and the sun rises and the sun sets, what do we do in the morning? The first thing the psalmist says is we should proclaim the truth that God is loving, that God is kind, and that my God loves me this morning. And we lose that when everything becomes focused around the ping, around this. And before we've even thrown back the curtains and pushed back the darkness, we are answering things rather than answering the Lord that we serve. And I can tell you, I am more healthy. I am more blessed. I am more full of joy. I'm more able to greet the day when in The morning I declare the love of God and in the evening I look back and see his faithfulness. 
See, what we're doing is turning the world upside down, aren't we, at times? We're losing the rhythm. You know, human beings, sociologists will tell you that human beings are... Uh, that when we get up in the morning, we like to plan. We talk about things, facts, where we're going, what we're doing. We, we uh, chat together, we, we plan, and that makes sense. When we get up, we deal with truth and facts and, and, and reality, and we plan our days. How better to wake up to the truth and the fact that his loving kindness is with us forever. That if you want to find the right way to wake up, is to look in the mirror and remind yourself that God loves you, that God is for you, that God cares for you. And that is what will give you the fuel to get through the day. Whereas in the evening, human beings like tend to tell stories. We tend to say what's happened in the day. We talk about the good and the bad and what has taken place and... And we talk to our wives and our children if they can get them talking. And, and we can chat about what has happened. And, and that's human beings have always done that around campfires. They've always done that in gatherings in the evenings. But how important it is that when we are at night... That we remind ourselves together about the faithfulness of God. But what is happening is that morning's becoming night, and night is becoming morning. We're blurring everything together. We're always on the meter, and we're missing the reality that we need to switch down. We need to concentrate on what is important. We need to concentrate on the reality that God loves us and that the story of God is with us every day. His faithfulness is there for us. See, it's interesting in Genesis, and I don't know if you ever noticed this, but in Genesis it says... (laughs) Uh, It was evening and it was morning. It was the first day. And God said, what? It was good. Well, that's a bit strange in the language, isn't it? It was evening and morning. What we say is good morning and good evening. It's because in the Hebrews writing, there is this sense that the next day begins in the evening. And the first thing you do in your next day is go to sleep as part of the first thing you do of that day, and then as you come and you wake up, you complete the rest of the day. So when they would go in, they would go to bed, as the sun sets, that's the beginning of the next day. Now isn't that amazing? It's the beginning of the next day, and as you begin that day, what do you do first? You rest. And what does God do while you rest? God creates. God is in covenant. God is busy. And you wake up the next morning in the middle of the day and God has already prepared you things to do to participate in his goodness and in his grace. And you wake up and God has been creating through the night. He's been preparing your day. And as we wake up, we join in to what God is doing. And the first thing I remind myself is God 
God loves me and today's going to be blessed because God is with me. And at the end of the day, when the sun sets, I'm going to talk about how faithful God has been to me today. Is that not a better way to live? To unplug? To realize that we are participating with God? And it's not about our ability to manage our lives. That you began your, uh, your day last night. And while you slept, God was at work preparing your day today. But you just need to wake up to the fact that God is always at work. So we have to live in a Sabbath rhythm. And it's something that I know we find so difficult in life. Nowadays, to, to live in the very idea of a Sabbath. What, what is a Sabbath? Well, a Sabbath is a day in the week whereby you, you declutter your life and you concentrate on what is important, first of all. It's that day. Now, for many of us, of course, it's Sunday. For pastors, it's slightly different. But it's that moment when you unplug and you unclutter. You get rid of all the stuff of the week and you ponder and you watch and you see what God is doing in your life. We all need a Sabbath. We need quiet time. We need reflection. We need deep pondering. We need the, to relish the space of lingering in the truth of God and all that God can do in our lives. And yet we have lost the ability to focus and we can lose the ability to focus on what is the most important thing in creation. That is the creator. There's always a battle in Scripture as right the way through the Old Testament between worshipping the Creator and worshipping the idols of our life. That is a great battle of Scripture. And when we delete Sabbath activity from our life, we are saying, I prefer my idols than worshipping the Creator within my life. So first of all, it's about decluttering. Secondly, it's about listening, turning down the volume of everything around us. The bass, the background noise, and learning to spend that time on your Sabbath to be able to listen to what God is saying to you in your life. Thirdly, it's about, yes, unplugging from our communities and our responsibilities and our jobs and our life so that we, we create that space. I love the people I work with here at Willow Park Church. We have with full-time staff, part-time staff, and contract workers. We have about, and, and interns, about 54 or so pe- beautiful people that work within our church family. And yet, and I love them, but on the Sabbath time, I disconnect because that community I love, but I serve that community far better if I am refreshed, if I am in contact, if I've pondered the great mysteries of God. 
if I've taken that time to live the Sabbath psalm. And finally, fourth, I guess it's, it's that ability to, to hand to God the people that we're caring for that are dependent upon us. I don't mean our children. We don't have a Sabbath and say, okay, kids, look after yourself. <laughs> I'd like that. Okay. But we're all ministering into broken lives, aren't we? We've all got people we text and encourage. We've all got people that look to us for that love and encouragement. But a Sabbath is a time when you trust them to God. And at that time, you, you say, Lord, this time I hand them to you. And I clear the decks. And I, I declare in the morning your love, and the evening, your faithfulness. And I ponder the richness. It's not about anything else except I want to become a God watcher. I want to watch God. I want to see what God's about in my life, in my family, in my career. I want to set this space aside. I want to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-string lion, the melody of the harp. Verse 4. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hand has done. We love these words. How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. Eugene Peterson talks about praying and playing. He talks about the Sabbath being so important that we learn to pray and to ponder and to understand God. But also that we learn to play as well. And, and often an idea of when you hear a preacher like me preaching about Sabbath, get time, do this, quieten down. Our instant reaction is, this could be pretty boring. This sounds rather Scottish and Presbyterian, where I'm not allowed to do anything. And of course, the great sin in Scotland, even up to the 70s, was to play football or soccer, as other countries call it, uh, on a Sunday. Of course. But here in the psalm, you have music. You have nature. You have old age that is blessed. And when you look at this psalm, you understand that there is this, there's prayer and there's play. The things we love to do. Even John Calvin himself, the great Calvinist, Love to gather on the Sabbath with his congregation and pray together. And then the rest of the day, John Calvin would go out and he would play Skittles. Now you're all wondering what Skittles is, aren't you? Well, at least that was the question I had last night from about 15 emails that I shouldn't have read. Uh, but it is the forerunner of 10-pin bowling. It was mainly played in European pubs and in the gardens and so on. And the great reformer, the great sovereignty, 
preacher, the great Calvin himself, would pray and then go and play. And his great delight was to spend every Sabbath afternoon playing Skittles. (laughs) A.W. Arden, the great poet, said, I worry about our nation so much. We seem to have lost the ability to do two great things. We've lost the ability to pray and we've lost the ability to laugh. And for many of us, it is that battle whereby, like the musician who has the discipline of what he's learned to do, to play the 12-string lyre and to bring the harp out and to go for God, there is the discipline and there is the delight. And there's the discipline of us pondering and lingering and living and consuming Scripture and praying and journaling and being in a Sabbath mode. But then there is the joy of us laughing with friends, going on a glorious walk, seeing how great are your works, Lord, How profound are your thoughts? When we create Sabbath, we start to hear the thoughts of God about our lives. When we create Sabbath, we start to understand what is really important. And we start to hear God's whisper in our hearts. But we become so multitasking, so full of everything else, that we've forgotten what it is to switch down, to switch off. To be present with the Lord. And we've even forgotten how to enjoy life. To play. To play an instrument. To to ponder how great your works are. To look out at, at mountains and oceans and hills. To climb onto that bicycle. To enjoy Life, whatever it is, whether it's Skittles for Calvin, whether it's a good laughter for Alden, whether it is what gives you life, we can become we can become blinded, and it's at these profound moments that we hear God's revelation in our lives. We hear God's voice. What is a Sabbath to you and to me may be very different. Michelle and I have had Sabbaths, of course, throughout our lives, mainly on Mondays because we've been in pastoral ministry for 20 years together. And, and our, our time is, you know, very simplistic. We pray We always, on most of our Sabbaths, go for a walk together. We explore somewhere. We've been to many places in the Okanagan, probably more than most of you. And and it's been an adventure, discovering a new waterfall, walking in silence, spending time praying, having a picnic, coming back, picking the kids up from school. It hasn't always been like that. That may sound awful to you, but we like it. When the kids were little, it was different. We'd take them to McDonald's and put them in the play area. It was free. And we'd leave them there for an hour and go for a walk. Um, I don't know what your 
rhythm is. I don't know how you're living your life. But what I do know, if you declutter, if you learn to listen, if you unplug, if you spend that precious time pondering the deep things of God... My life has been revolutionized. I honestly do humbly believe yours can. And he goes on to say, verse 6, about the senseless people do not know, fools do not understand, that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. What the psalmist is saying is, we are living in the joy of a Sabbath. We are pondering the greatness of God. We are, you know, if you're like me, I look up into the skies and realize in our own milky way, there are 200 million stars. And there are Billion stars, in fact. And there's about the same amount of galaxies, the same size beyond that. I ponder. But there are people, senseless people, who walk around like they're blind. And they don't realize that the great artist, the great creator, has created so much. And yet they're blind to the reality of God within their lives. You and I are not blind to reality of the preciousness of God in our lives. His whisper is there. His presence is there. He wants to be with you in prayer, and He wants to be with you when you play. When we, in March, I took Isabella to Africa... And Bella was, she's 14, if you don't know my family. I have um, a 10-year-old boy, I have a 14-year-old daughter, and I have two 18-year-old daughters, twins. I'm clever. And and I need prayer. And I took uh, Bella, and on our way back, we came through London, and we had a day in London, And Uncle Richard came down to see us. Uncle Joe came down to see us. And we went to a hotel and we ran around. And we heard that uh, Michelangelo, all his works were in town. One of the first time outside of Italy. And, And we're thinking, have we got time to go and see Michelangelo's work? And Raphael was always there. But we ended up on the London Eye and looked over the city. And and we kissed our uncles goodbye and said goodbye and off they went and we were on our way to the airport going down the escalator onto the tube and Bella looked at me and she said do you think we've got time dad to go and see Michelangelo's work wow I mean out of the mouth of a 14-year-old. I went, oh, I said, it's going to be tight. We're going to have to really run from the tube station to the National Gallery. We've got to get through and get in, and we'll probably only have 15, 20 minutes in there. She said, I can run. I can run. And I was like, you can run. I can run. Let's run. 
And so we started running through the streets of London and we're heading towards the National Gallery right next to uh, Canada House there in Trafalgar Square. Run up the stairs, get there, and you've got to, it's the only exhibition you've got to pay to get in. I don't know what, he, what he's doing with his royalties. And so, so I had to pay, uh, uh, and it wasn't cheap. It was about $50. I don't think I mentioned that, did I, love? Sorry. Um, <laughs> And I'm paying the money out and we get in and suddenly we're in this room with the greatest art of the world, Michelangelo. Many of it never been outside of Italy. And we walked around in that, what well, it feels like a holy place, looking at some of the most beautiful religious art ever created, staring into the face of Jesus, depicted sculptures of Mary and the Christ dead. And you know, it was worth the run. It was worth the money just to stand there with my 14-year-old daughter who wanted to be there. And see an artist at work. She'd been learning about Raphael and so on. And she'd heard about these people. But she wanted to be in the presence of the art. Isn't that Sabbath? You've heard about the great creator. You've heard about the poetry of heaven. You know that he wants to come close to you, but you've got to run through the streets, push everything to side, and you've got to walk into his presence. See, there are senseless people that walk around blind that don't see it, sadly. And our mission is to introduce them to the greatest artist ever, God the Creator. To say, give up your idols and serve the Creator. And stand in his presence. That he will come close to us. And it finishes off. It talks about that those righteous people will be like palm trees planted fruitful. And I want to say to you that if I keep Sabbath in that rhythm of beauty in my life. I So know that fruitfulness will grow in my own barren life. That when I go straight up like a a tree of of, uh, cedar of Lebanon, I I will be fruitful. I will find myself planted in the courts of the Lord and in old age. Boy, I will bear fruit. Planted in the house of the Lord and they will flourish in the courts of our God. And they will still bear fruit in the old age. Is it possible for those of us in the middle of our lives that if we learn the art of Sabbath 
and we understand the beauty of prayer and we understand the wonder of play and we look at our world and we connect with God that when we are old, we will still be fruitful because we have laid down things in our lives that are so precious that they keep bearing fruit in our lives. You've all met those retired people. The most precious generation called the baby boomers. They're the most prosperous generation ever. Certainly my children, as they're telling us, won't live in such prosperous times. But you know, you, I meet baby boomers, people in their 70s. And there are those that are flourishing and prospering. Those that like to jump on a bicycle and go. Those that like to take that walk. Those that have the Bible open in their homes. Those that are being fruitful. And there are those, sadly, like any human beings, young, old and so on. That never laid down the foundations. And that's disappointing. Because you hear it in their disappointment. You hear it in their voice. I have to decide when I read this psalm what kind of old, retired man I'm going to be. When I read this psalm, it tells me live in the Sabbath, live in Jesus. Because when you examine this psalm, you will see Jesus' rhythm, Jesus' life. Jesus is coming through it. And the difference Jesus makes. Hmm. Some thoughts. So why not, this evening, tell stories of God's faithfulness as the sun sets. And on Monday morning, wake up and know that he loves you. Let's pray together. Father, help me to give up my fears. My fear that if I stop working, things will go wrong. My fear that if I trust you, it might not work out. I thank you for the richness of creation. And Lord, I pray that you will help me to carve that time to declutter, to listen, to focus on you and not other people, and to hand those that are hurting over to you for that time so I may serve them better. For the six days of the week. Help us Lord to be listeners and prayers. And where there is fear. May it lift off. And may you come now. And minister to each heart. And fill us with your presence. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.